Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Pollock, cybersecurity attorney at Niles Barton and Wilmer, and I'm glad to have you back. We took about a week off. I know you missed me because I was on a, I guess you could call it a vacation, but obviously it became a working vacation, but I'm thrilled to be back, thrilled to have you back. As always, keep those questions and calls coming. Email me or call me. Call me at 443-381-3586 or email me at sspollock, that's P-O-L-L-O-C-K, at nilesbarton.com. Today on the show, I'm really happy to have Stephen Badowski as a guest from York International. He's the uh, Vice President and Executive Liability Practice Leader. Stephen, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Spencer. Hope, uh, Hope everybody's having a great start to their week. Thank you so much for joining the show. You know, Stephen offers a unique perspective that I want to dive into. Um, specifically, can we start talking about some non-traditional cyber risks that you're seeing in the market? Sure. Uh, one of the things that I, I really appreciate about podcasts like this one and uh, and and other media outlets in the in the world of cyber insurance and cybersecurity risk, the focus often tends to skew towards bigger risks, more complex risks, where, you know, as uh, as the famous uh, bank robbers, Bonnie and Clyde said, why do they rob banks? Because that's where the money is. People tend to focus on the risks for companies that have a lot of PII, or they are reliant on their data, or they have uh, health records at their disposal, the big hospitals, and those tend to be targets. So a lot of the attention gets focused on those types of businesses. Where I've seen it from my point of view and talking with my clients uh, is in the what I'd call non-traditional segments, areas where you might not think there's a tremendous cyber risk, but it can still create a really bad hair day if your computer system goes down. Um, for example, our shop does a lot of uh, does a lot of work within the real estate business. And so cyber liability risks, someone might not think of, you know, a real estate shop, property manager, an owner operator, a family office that uh, owns and manages real estate. People might not think of that as a tremendous cyber risk, but when you sit and think about it, if we're dealing with something, somebody who's doing, um, you know, either clearing, uh, clearing prospective buyers for condos and co-ops, uh, or if we're dealing with a firm that's uh, renting space, uh, you know, on a on a rental basis and leasing, oftentimes you're coming into personally identifiable data for your tenants and running background checks on poten- potential tenants. So these companies that might be might have thousands of units under their management don't realize that they've got not only the records and information for at least one person in, in every building their employees, but also the prospective tenants that maybe take a look and don't get in, or the past tenants where you ran a background check and you have that information in your files. So in the event of a data breach that takes down your entire network, it could be something that ends up uh, affecting not only those folks who are living within your units today, but those who lived there in the past and those who looked at uh, living in your buildings. And it's, it's important to have an understanding of just exactly what information you do have, how long you keep those old records, how long do you have those uh, tenant information files available to you, and then asking the good questions about how are they protected, who has access to it, who's typing in um, the social security numbers into our, our tenant management system, things like that, which in the more I talk to my clients, the more I realize that 
a lot of people haven't really thought of that. So I wanted to try and shed some light on um, some non-traditional type uh, type risks like uh, like real estate and some others. I mean, you make a lot of good points. And, you know, first off, the bad hair day, that's a great analogy. <laughs> and especially talking about real estate and property managers, because I've had clients as well that have come to me and I discuss these topics, as you've talked about, and they're like, wait, well, we don't have any risks here. We're, we're not a bank. We're not a doctor's office. So why should we really care? And it's something, you know, Stephen, you and I have discussed off air. It's something I've discussed on this podcast. Hackers don't care. I mean, cyber is so diverse in terms of our threats and our liabilities and our responsibilities. It's really important that this message trickles down and across all spectrums. You know, and in talking about these kind of small to mid-sized businesses, enterprises, can you kind of discuss why owners, decision makers, or C-suite should really care about this beyond kind of what we just discussed? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, you know, when it comes to small and mid-sized businesses, uh, again, we, we think of these companies and, and insurance companies tend to think, and based on the way you can read some insurance applications, um, the insurance companies tend to think that everybody works the way that a, a hospital or a Fortune 500 company would, where they're going to have uh, a, C, a chief information security officer or CISO, a chief technology officer. They're going to have somebody who, who speaks the language of computers and speaks the language of cybersecurity more so than just recognizing that the the owner of a lot of these small businesses, the the principal owner, has to be not only the CEO, the CFO, um, the head of IT, as well as the um, you know the lead salesman going out generating leads and, and information for the business. Um, as we look at smaller businesses, we have to recognize that there are certain things that connect within those within that C-suite and why just saying, oh, I have a computer guy or I have an IT guy that deals with that or I have a master services provider. I think the number one thing that I hear back from um, my small business clients is we have an IT firm for that. They'll make me whole, right? Or I have a credit card processing company. If there's a breach, they'll handle it. I don't, I don't touch those credit card numbers. Well, listen, yeah. at the end of the day, if you're taking credit cards, they're the people who are affected by a data breach aren't going to go back and say, oh, well, it was Stripe that, that, had, that had the breach. They're going to look back and say, well, hold on. I gave my credit card to you know, Joe's Landscaping so they can run it every month and pay for, pay for my, my landscaping service. Or I gave, it to, um, I, I gave my credit card to uh, you know, pick your other retail business. They're going to know your business, and they're going to see that when the credit card companies call your retail business or your landscaping business, that they're going to sit there and say, the uh, credit card companies are going to say, we've noticed a number of suspicious activity tracing back to cards that have used your system. And if you don't keep your system up to date for PCI compliance, the fault can come back to you and PCI fines and penalties can be assessed against you. Um, which is why I look at cyber insurance to say, if you don't have an in-house IT guy, and even if you do, you're going to want to have access to the experts. Uh, I, I often compare cyber insurance to a uh, to an auto policy, your traditional personal auto policy, where you have 
you have your you have your roadside assistance to help you when you've gotten into the accident, and that's where you can pick up the phone and call call a data breach coach like you, Spencer, and get the lay of the land. Here's what you have to do next to make sure you get through this appropriately. You get the comp and collision that helps you pull together your network um, and replace and re recreate your network so that you're able to get back up and running. And then there's the liability aspect so that if fines and penalties come into play. Um, finding out to say that, okay, the, the computer guys or the IT guys or my credit card processor um, is there, that's not exactly the best way to go about things because when things hit the fan, understand that if, if it is truly a breach on their side, you're going to want to look at this as a business owner. Am I going to rely on somebody else to do what's right for me, or do I want to have those resources in the form of a policy and then let the insurance company worry about going to make their money back by uh, subrogating against uh, a business provider or a vendor or something like that? A lot of great points. There are a lot of things that I continuously see. You know, the first thing you said was, especially with small to mid-sized businesses, you get CEOs or let's just call them owners, right? Well, you can call them a CEO. They really wear the hat of a CEO, CFO, COO, CIO, CTO, and they might not know they're wearing all these hats, but it becomes very much overwhelming. And then understandably for those type of individuals, it's rank and prioritize what we need to do during the day. And sometimes cyber gets kicked. And then let's say they do have an IT department, IT individual. Um, those people are great. But they wear 50 hats too. You know, they got to fix this computer. They got to upload this software. They got to order a new computer. And so never it's hard. The fact that they're, never mind the fact that they're also called in to reset passwords and, yep. and take care of the minor stuff. Like, why aren't my headphones pairing with my laptop? You know, the, the, little, the little rank and file stuff that, uh, that gets forgotten. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and then the cyber risk really gets kicked to the back burner, which is a, is a huge issue. Uh, but then turning to kind of what you began to touch on with the pre-breach mitigation, risk mitigation, you know, are there ways that, you know, cyber insurance can help with clients uh, in terms of the pre-breach risk mitigation? Absolutely. So, uh, so continuing on the analogy that I drew for, for auto insurance, it would be as if your personal auto insurer said, he, by the way, here's a defensive driving class that we offer to help make you a better risk on our side and help prevent you from getting into, into accidents. Many cyber insurance companies, uh, cyber insurance carriers provide pre-loss mitigation services or risk control services. Uh, for example, um, you know, Chubb is an example. Uh, they provide uh, access to Dashlane, which is a password manager system. So no longer do you have to worry about having weak passwords because that, system, that password manager updates and encrypts the, um, your password files, but also makes the passwords um, complex enough that people can't uh, just randomly guess them to get in. Uh, you also have access to something like SkillBridge, which will test not only your rank and, rank and file employees, but also your IT team to kind of get a sense of how secure are we really and what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, other insurance companies provide external scans of your network and dark web scans to see if there are credentials of yours out there. Um, they provide apps to help download that you can download to um, monitor your network for suspicious activity. So things like that that help make you aware. There's also ways that uh, you know you can access um, at a discount. You might get uh, services like No Before 
uh, to do a phishing simulation and test your employees. And, and at the end of the day, it comes back to understanding what's in your what's in your your business and what's in your house. So similar to, um, you know, I, I compare it to having a plan in the event of a data breach, having a data breach response plan. Um, I compare it to just, you know, when you're when you're at home with your kids, you kind of tell them, hey, if you hear the smoke alarm go off, meet mommy and daddy by the by the mailbox. Don't worry about the goldfish. Don't worry about the hamster. Just if you hear the smoke alarm, meet mommy and daddy by the mailbox. It's not a great plan. It's not, it hasn't thought about every single possibility, but it's a plan. And understanding who's going to have to do what in the event of a data breach, and a lot of times these policies will also provide you with a, a skeleton um, uh, of what a, a plan could look like or things to discuss. So, And I, I know we went through it with our firm when we were putting our data breach response plan together. We used a template provided by our cyber insurer to say, okay, you know, our are the managing director in charge of property and casualty is going to be in charge of client satisfaction and coverage issues. Um, the CFO is going to be in charge of the financial issues and dealing with the insurance company. And the CEO is going to handle all matters discuss and discussions with the press and with attorneys so that it was very clear that when, when everything hits the fan and it's a, uh, as I said earlier, a really bad hair day, you at least know, okay, this is my responsibility. I know what I have to do. Yeah. And I mean, I think all the pre-breach mitigation stuff is so important because that's what I preach to my clients. And I mean, I, I love the kind of the outlines that they can obtain, but I do always recommend bringing in kind of an external counsel that knows how to handle those plans because they want to make sure that they are legally compliant. You know, because one thing I've found is that different states have different requirements. And as a lawyer, you know, I'm sure everyone out there can understand where I'm coming from with this. I hate when things are written down and we don't follow it. Um, so it's being very careful about that, but just, you're right, accessing those services. And I don't know about your fire plan, but mine is, you know, every man or woman for themselves. I'm going right for that door. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, uh, Spencer, to that end, when you talk about putting those things together with a data breach coach and having pre-selected counsel, that's something else that, that comes into play. And we like to discuss with our, with our clients. I was on the, uh, on the line with one of my clients in the uh, hotel and hospitality industry yesterday. And in talking with them to be able to have a discussion and say, do you know what would happen and who you would call? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Spencer, but one of the key steps in starting the process in dealing with a data breach is establishing privity of counsel. So having a, an existing relationship that's not, only, uh, that's not only established where the client knows they're going to call you in the event of a data breach, but also recognizing that that's going to be the first step in establishing privity of counsel, working our way through the data breach and understanding what to do next that's pretty that's a pretty important step as well right oh yeah i mean and i what you just said is completely on point um but it's all about the team-centric approach you know for me as i tell clients i'm like look you want a broker that you trust that you know you want an attorney that you trust and you know because when things hit the fan it's this isn't like a calm process where it's like let's work through a b and c and it can be calmer when you're ready for it and you have those people in place um and it's cost effective so I, I agree completely. And all right, so let me turn to the last question. Same question I try to ask every one of my guests. If you can give one thing that the audience can take away from this today, because you made a lot of important good points, but I love to just kind of see if I can flush out one thing in one sentence, what would it be? Okay, I'm going to say put yourself in the position and think about what would happen if you did have a data breach. 
Okay, I, I coached uh, high school football for nine years uh, in addition to uh, working in, in, in insurance. And the biggest thing that always happened to me on a Friday night was as we're going to the games would be thinking about what situation I hadn't thought of. Are we going to have to be in this position to either take a safety late in the game? Um, we're going to have to punt out of our own end zone. We're going to have to, you know, we're, we're returning a kick with no time left, and we're going to start running the Stanford band play um, and, and doing something like that. Yeah. Thinking about all those scenarios, and even if you don't think of all the scenarios, think of the basic of start with the basic. What would happen if I didn't have my computers? Okay, what would happen if I didn't have access to all my files? Some companies would still be able to generate revenue and still be able to work on their business. Real estate, you're not going to evict tenants. You're still going to be able to collect rent if there's a data breach in the system. People are still going to owe you their rents. However, if we're in like a landscaping business or another professional service business where you've sent out a month's worth of proposals, that are now gone because your network has been encrypted by ransomware and you don't know what proposals are out there, that can have a serious impact on your future revenues. So as you're looking at things like that, just start with a very basic premise of what would happen if we got hit and what would be the most devastating to my business. It's, I know it's a scary thing to think about. It's not the things that we want to think about uh, first thing in the morning, but it's time that can be spent well preparing for that and how to avoid that that's just the basics of uh, of risk management right there that that i think a, a lot of companies focus on the external side of things and they focus on well if my building burns down but much more likely to happen is that someone clicks on the wrong part of an email or someone opens up something they shouldn't and the next thing you know the computer system's locked down and your entire network is shut down and your 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 business is brought to a grinding halt Hope for the best and plan for the worst. Um, Steven, that was wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. All right. Appreciate it, Spencer. Thanks a lot. And thank you to the listeners. Um, once again, uh, thanks for coming. Call us, email us with questions, discussion points, 443-381-3586, or email at sspollock at com. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks.